Because he lives, friends, we have a great hope this Easter Sunday. And uh, we are here to proclaim that hope, that uh, Jesus Christ is a risen Savior and King who rules and reigns today. And the reality is, friends, because he lives, we have some incredible promises, some incredible realities that are ours as God's people. We're going to look at some of these incredible realities this morning as we study God's Word together. We're going to be looking at a great passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 24, uh, one of the gospel accounts, one of the New Testament gospel accounts of Jesus' resurrection from Luke. Luke was a physician who undertook uh, to provide an accurate historical record of Jesus' life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and he wanted to give God's people an accurate account so that we could have assurance and hope that the things that we believe and testify to are truly real. Jesus Christ is a living, reigning Savior. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 24 together this morning. I'm going to invite you to join me in a word of prayer as we ask God to bless our time in his word together and that he might open our eyes to the hope of Easter in some new ways today. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to be here this morning, and we're grateful especially for your son, Jesus, who came into this world to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven and experience new life, resurrection life, life abundant here and now, and life eternal evermore. And so we are here, Jesus, to honor you and to praise your name. We ask now, Holy Spirit, as we turn to the word of God that you inspired for us to know your truth that you would reveal these truths to us again in fresh and powerful ways, that we might be encouraged and inspired in our faith. We pray all this in the great name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're in Luke chapter 24. If you have your Bibles, feel free to follow along. We have the words on the screen. I want to read this great account. Now, in this account, what we're going to see are four scenes, four different scenes of Jesus's activity following his resurrection from the grave. And in these four scenes, we're going to discover some of the incredible realities that are ours because he lives. So Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn... They went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. 
And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some, of our, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you have anything to eat here? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Isn't that awesome, friends? Yes. Yeah, I love it. That guy's fired up for Easter. Good man. 
And we have great reason to be fired up for Easter because he lives. And because he lives, friends, we have some incredible realities that are ours today. I want to highlight a few of these from our text this morning, from these various scenes that we see here in Luke chapter 24. The, the first of these realities that are ours because he lives, it, it's because he lives, we have a sure Savior. We have a sure Savior. And, and by sure here, I mean a, a certain Savior, a, an indisputable Savior, an undoubtable Savior. That is ours, Jesus Christ. You know, friends, if I were to ask you this morning, what would you say are the most consequential words in all of Scripture? How would you answer that question? You know, some of you might point back to the Old Testament, maybe Exodus chapter 20, the 10, right? Consequential words, important words. Others of you might, might look to the New Testament, maybe Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, where Jesus gives us the golden rule. I mean, it's the golden rule for Pete's sake, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Others of you might, might look to Matthew chapter 6 and the Lord's Prayer where, where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And still others of you might point to that great gospel passage, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And of course, all of those passages are terrific and significant and consequential in their own right. But friends, I want to argue this morning that there is one passage of Scripture that is far more consequential than all of these, far more consequential than anything else written in Scripture. And it's the words we find in our first scene this morning in verses 5 and 6 as the women head to the tomb to find Jesus and prepare his body in the traditional Jewish fashion. As they come to the tomb, they discover that the stone has been rolled away, the tomb is empty, and there they find two angelic visitors. And these angels in verses 5 and 6, in the most consequential words in all the Bible, they say, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. He is risen, friends. These are, in my estimation, the most consequential words in the entire Bible. And why do I say that? Friends, I say that this morning because if this is true, if he is risen, it is the truth that changes everything. I want you to think about this. If Jesus Christ was dead and three days later physically rose from the grave, and if today he lives and reigns from heaven, friends, if all of this is true, there is just no way that any of us here can simply dismiss Jesus and his claims. In fact, we would be foolish to do so. If Jesus truly conquered the grave, like no other human in all of history, no other man, then we have to take his claims about himself seriously. What, what did Jesus claim about himself? What's at stake in light of the resurrection, whether this is true or not? Well, friends, think about some of the things that Jesus told us about himself. Jesus first and foremost claimed that he was God incarnate. He claimed to be God incarnate. What does that mean? It means God in flesh. If that is true, friends, not only does it mean that there is a God, but it also means that this God has personally revealed himself to us. 
that changes a whole lot, doesn't it? Jesus also claimed that he came to bear witness to the truth. And by truth, I'm talking about capital T truth here. True truth. Absolute truth. You know, we live in a world today that says truth is subjective. Truth is relative. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. Jesus says, no, that's not the case. There is such a thing as truth. And he came to testify to the truth. He came to tell us the way things really were. And not only did he claim to testify to the truth, but he claimed that he himself was the truth. Huge consequences to that reality. Jesus also claimed to be the source of abundant life. He's, he said, look at all of the shallow things we pursue in this world, looking for meaning and fulfillment and purpose. Those things will not satisfy, but Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and life abundant. He also claimed to be the only way to salvation. Friends, not simply a way, not simply one option among many, not simply one path is as good as another. No, Jesus said, I am the way. And the only way to experience reconciliation with our creator God. If that's true, hugely consequential. Jesus claimed to be the arbiter of eternal life and death. The judge who at the end of time is going to open up his records and determine whose name is found in the book of life. And some are going to be sent away to eternal death. Others are going to be raised to eternal life. Jesus said he was the judge of that. Jesus also claimed to be the sovereign authority overall. He said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's the ultimate authority above all friends, above all governors, above all presidents, above all emperors and kings. Jesus is sovereign. Now again, this all hinges upon whether he truly rose from the dead. If Jesus is dead today and in the grave, who cares about any of this, right? I mean, in fact, what are we even doing here this morning? There's a whole lot better things we could be doing on a Sunday morning if Jesus is dead and in the grave. But friends, if Jesus is risen, and if he lives today, and if he truly rules and reigns over all from heaven, who would be so foolish as to ignore all of these things? See, friends, if Christ is not risen, nothing else matters. And if Christ is risen, nothing else matters. Theologian Yaroslav Pelikan. If Christ is not risen, nothing else matters. And if Christ is risen, nothing else matters. It all hinges upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's not only theologians who recognize this. The Apostle Paul himself recognized this very reality. In fact, in, second, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile... You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. See, friends, even the scriptures declare that our faith rests upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Everything he claimed about himself, everything he claimed about the truth, everything he claimed about the way to salvation, everything he claimed about eternal life, it all rests upon whether he truly rose from the dead. And the claim of Scripture is that, yes, Jesus did conquer the grave. He, he is the fulfillment of all that he prophesied about his death and his burial and his resurrection. He conquered the grave, and he lives today. And because of this reality, we can be confident that we have a sure Savior. We know this from the testimony of Scripture, and the testimony of Scripture, friends, is corroborated by the evidence of history. I've shared this acronym with you over the years, but I encourage you, if you've never done this, friends, test the claims of the resurrection. Look into the claim of the resurrection for yourself. Did Jesus truly rise from the dead? The, 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 the term test I use as an acronym, the, the T stands for tomb, the empty tomb. The tomb was empty. Friends, the tomb that Jesus was buried in was a well-known tomb. It was a well-guarded tomb. And three days later, it was a well-empty tomb. And guess what? Nobody ever disputed that fact. The Jews, the Romans, the Christians, they all agreed. They knew the tomb he was buried in. They knew it had been put, a guard had put over it by Pontius Pilate. But they all agreed that three days later, that stone was rolled away and that tomb was empty. That was never in dispute historically. We, we could talk about the E. The E stands for the eyewitnesses. The eyewitness testimonies. There are dozens of them in the scriptures. The apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, in fact, he says there were over 500 brothers who had seen Jesus resurrected and alive following his crucifixion. Now, that's a huge claim, but it is even more significant when we realize that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians only 20 years after these events which means that most of the people he mentions would have still been alive. In other words, if anybody doubted his message, there were plenty of people still around. In fact, he names names of people that anyone could go and check with to verify whether the story was true. Did Jesus really rise? Did you see him physically alive after his crucifixion? Paul unashamedly announces that and names names and encourages anyone to examine for themselves that claim. We could talk about the S. In my opinion, one of the most convincing arguments for the resurrection, the spread of the early church. We know historically that shortly after the events of Jesus' life and death, that the early Christian church began to spread like a wildfire throughout the ancient Near East. That's a fact of history. But the question is, is what accounts for that rapid spread and growth of the early church? How do you explain it? Remember, friends, the church grew in a hostile first century Jewish culture that was occupied by the dominant oppressive Roman Empire, and the Jewish people didn't want this new religion to grow. The Romans didn't want this new religion to grow. Everybody was against it, and yet it spread like a wildfire. That's a fact of history. I don't know how you account for that in any other way apart from what the early followers of Jesus themselves claimed, that Jesus was truly the risen Savior who conquered death. And then we could talk about the other T, the, the transformed lives. Lives like the disciples, the, the disciples of Jesus, who when Jesus was arrested and crucified, they're off hiding away behind locked doors in a, in a hidden room in Jerusalem because they're thinking, man, if they just 
If they just arrested and killed our master, guess who they're probably coming for next? And so they're out hiding and fearful. And yet only a few days after this, these very same men are standing boldly in the middle of Jerusalem proclaiming Jesus is alive. Yes, the one you crucified and buried, he rose from the grave and he is the Messiah, the anointed one. He is our savior and he is the resurrected king. How do you explain that transformation? Especially knowing that most of those men, all but one of them, would go to their death as martyrs, convinced that Jesus was the risen king. We could talk about James, the earthly brother of Jesus. James, who earlier during Jesus' ministry doubted his brother, thought he was crazy, right? Imagine your brother walking around claiming to be the son of God, the Messiah. But this very same James later would become the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He would write the book of James in the New Testament. He was so convinced that his brother was the Messiah, the Son of God. Friends, think about that. What would your brother have to do to convince you he was Lord? Lord over all. James was so convinced that his brother was Lord of all that he was willing to lay down his life. He died a brutal death as a martyr never once renouncing his belief that his brother Jesus was the risen son of God. We could talk about the apostle Paul. Paul, who started out as a man named Saul, a zealous Jewish persecutor of the faith, so intent on stomping out this growing religious movement, these, these new Christ followers, that he got permission from the Jewish Sanhedrin to go through the Middle East and arrest Christians and shut down churches. He was complicit in the death of some of the early Christian martyrs. This guy hated Christianity. And yet this very same guy would ultimately become the greatest champion of the message of Jesus Christ in the history of the world. The Apostle Paul. How do you account for that transformation? I think the only way you can explain it is how Paul himself explained it. He encountered the risen Jesus. And it changed everything. Yes, friends, we have confident reasons to believe that the message of the resurrection is true. And friends, understand this this morning. Because the tomb is empty, our faith is not. We aren't here worshiping Jesus based on blind faith, hoping, wishing that all this is true. Because the tomb is empty, our faith is not. We can be confident and we can have assurance that Jesus truly is a sure Savior. But the second thing we can have confidence in this morning, it, because he is a sure savior, this, this leads me to the second reality that is ours in Jesus, because he lives. Because he lives, we have a secure hope. We have a secure hope. There's a lot of people in our world today who spend their lives living in a Black Saturday world because they do not know the hope of Easter Sunday. This was the reality of the two disciples we encounter in the second scene of our passage, these two men on the road to Emmaus, Jesus comes and appears to them. They don't recognize that it's Jesus right away. Jesus asks them, why are they so downtrodden? Why are they so troubled? And it's very interesting in verse 21, their response to Jesus was, we had hoped. Words I think all of us can relate to. How many times have we said to God ourselves, God, we had hoped. We had hoped it would turn out differently. You know, to these men's credit, 
they had the right person. They, they had put their hope in Jesus, but unfortunately, they had the wrong priorities. See, what these disciples didn't understand is that their priorities for Jesus weren't Jesus' priorities for them. They were looking for a political savior. They were looking for a military conqueror, someone who would overthrow the yoke of oppression of the Romans who were occupying Israel at the time. They were looking for someone to restore the throne of David and rule and reign over the Jewish people once again. Their priorities for Jesus weren't his priorities for them, however. And you know, it's interesting. I think a lot of people make this very same mistake with Jesus today. Like these disciples, many are quick to look to Jesus for hope, but they look to him to fulfill their priorities instead of trusting in his priorities for them. And friends, when we do this, when we look at Jesus this way, you end up missing out on the key point of what his mission was all about. See, Jesus didn't come to be a political savior. He came to be a spiritual savior. He came for far more consequential reasons than simply liberating the Jewish people from Roman oppression. No, he came to liberate the whole world from our oppression to sin and death. See, Jesus came to reconcile us to our creator God. The reality is we need that reconciliation and we have no hope for it apart from Jesus. The Bible is very clear on this matter. Romans 3.23 says that all of us have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. The, the word sin, if you're not aware, friends, the word sin simply means rebellion. We've all rebelled against our holy creator. Every single one of us. If we're all honest about it, man, I bet you've already rebelled against him a number of times even today. Rebelled against his will for our lives. We do it all the time. And that rebellion is called sin. And that sin separates us from God who is holy, who is righteous, who is perfect, who is pure. The Apostle Paul, Romans 3.10, he says, there's no one here who's righteous. No, not one. And that's our great problem. The great problem that Jesus came to remedy. Paul goes on in Romans 6.23, he says that the wages of our sin, the, the consequences of this rebellion against God and our separation from our holy creator, the consequences, Paul says, is death. Sin leads to death. But then he shares the good news, the hope of Jesus. He says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And why can we trust in that promise? We can trust in that promise because Jesus conquered the grave. And therefore, we have a secure hope in him. This is what Jesus goes on to explain to the two disciples in our passage this morning. In verse 27, he, he says to these men, he says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. You know, what a Bible study that must have been, right? Can you imagine walking along with Jesus and Jesus starts going through all of the Old Testament prophecies that called him the Savior, the Anointed One, the Messiah? Do you know, friends, there are over 300 prophecies and allusions to Jesus in the Old Testament? Prophecies written hundreds, some thousands of years before Jesus came, all pointing to him as the coming Messiah? 
We, we could go through the list. I mean, all the way back in the very beginning, Genesis 3, we're told that Jesus would ultimately crush Satan and rectify the court curse. He's going to be born of a virgin. He'd be born in Bethlehem. We go through the prophecies, the promises, right? We, we, we discover that he's going to be the one who proclaims jubilee to the world. He's going to teach through par- parable. He's going to be rejected by rulers. He's going to make a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We, we look to the prophecies of his crucifixion. He's, he's going to be given wine and sour vinegar to drink. He's gonna, his enemies are going to cast lots for his garments. His side would be pierced. None of his bones would be broken. He would die among criminals. His dying words were foretold. He would be buried by a rich man. He would rise from the dead on the third day. All of this was prophesied hundreds of years in advance. And all of it came true and was fulfilled in Jesus. Now, friends, here's where we discover our secure hope. Because understand this, since God kept his promises in sending us our Savior, and because our Savior lives today, we can be confident that all the promises that are ours through our Savior are also true. And therefore, we have a secure hope. What what did Jesus promise us? Friends, there are far too many to cover this morning, but let me just share three of his greatest hits, three of his greatest promises to those of us who put our trust in him. Number one, through Jesus Christ, we have the hope of new life. New life. Second Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. What a great promise that is. You can experience new life through Jesus. The Bible sometimes refers to that as the the idea of being born again. You can be born again and experience new life, new hope, new direction. Your past is forgiven. All of your sins and rebellion washed and cleansed. God says, I cast them out into the deepest oceans to be remembered never, never more. And he sets us on a new path that leads to to new life. Life abundant here and now. Life evermore in his presence. In fact, we we have the second promise that Jesus gives us. He, He promises God with us. What an awesome promise, friends. I, you know, one of the greatest human fears that we all share is the fear of loneliness. You know, from the time you're a little kid, you you fear being alone. You you fear that first day of school. Am I going to have any friends in my class? Is anybody going to sit with me at lunch? As you get older, you you start to fear the loneliness, wondering if anyone will ever love you, if you're ever going to have that special someone in your life. Some of you parents who are empty nesters, you know the fear, the loneliness of seeing your kids move out of the house, wondering when I'm going to see them again when they're going to bring the grandkids over. Some of you who have gotten to your senior years, you know the fear of the concern of pining away your days, isolated in a nursing home, wondering if anybody even cares. We all fear that loneliness, friends. But Jesus promises that when we enter into a relationship with him, we are never alone because he is a faithful friend. We read promises from Jesus like John 14, 18 through 20. It says, I'm going to come and my spirit is going to live within you. And then he tells his disciples and promises like Matthew 28, 20. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. 
Friends, you're never alone if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus promises never to leave us, never to forsake us. Jesus also promises eternal life. What a great hope we have. Eternal life. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Yesterday morning, I got the sad news that a dear friend of ours here at church, Les Johnson, passed away. Dear old faithful brother in Christ. He's going to be dearly missed. But you know, you think about it, what a great weekend to go home to the Lord. And you see, Les had the resurrection hope because he had put his trust in Jesus Christ. And while I'm sad thinking about it, I'm never going to see Les sitting out here on a Sunday morning again. I have resurrection hope because of Jesus. That the grave is not the end. That he's going to be raised to new life because he trusted in Jesus. And we're going to have a great reunion one day. See, that's the hope of all of us who put our trust in Jesus, the risen Savior and King. We have these great promises, new life, God with us, eternal life. It's no wonder the, the results in verse 32, these two disciples, after Jesus explains all of these promises pointing to him, what do they say? They say, did not our hearts burn within us as he explained all these things to us? See, they had gone from hopeless to hopeful because of the promises of God revealed by Jesus. Some of you might be here this morning and you're feeling that same burning in your heart. Did not our hearts burn within us as we heard these incredible promises, these incredible promises that are ours because he lives. Friends, if you're feeling that burning in your heart this morning, that could be the Holy Spirit drawing you into a relationship with Jesus, a relationship that leads to new life, to, to that faithful friend, to that eternal hope. And you too can put your trust in Jesus this morning as your Savior and Lord. Because he lives, thirdly, in our passage, we, we discover that we have this supreme message. Jesus appears to his, his uh, ten remaining disciples, and, and Jesus appears to the ten as they're hiding in this locked room, and he reveals himself to them. And then he commissions them to go into all the world as his witnesses, proclaiming the good news that salvation is possible through Jesus Christ. It's awesome in, in, verses 20, 20, in chapter 24, verses 46 and 48, Jesus says to his disciples, this is what I proclaim, that Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The, the word witness there in the Greek is martus. It means someone who bears testimony, someone who testifies to what they have seen. And Jesus says, I'm sending you out as a testament testifiers to all that you have seen. And friends, that commission is still as relevant today as it's ever been. And because of that commission that Jesus gave us as his disciples, we carry this supreme message into the world. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. When you go to school uh, this week, you, you're not just a student, you're an ambassador for Jesus. When you go to your workplace, you're not just there to earn a paycheck. You're there to represent Jesus' interest to your coworkers. That's what an ambassador does. 
When you walk through your neighborhood and you visit with your neighbors and your friends, you're not just there to talk about the weather and, you know, is spring ever going to get? No, you're there to testify to Jesus and to share the hope that reconciliation with God has been made possible. What a supreme message we have. But then the last thing we see in our passage is the superb joy that is ours because he lives. Jesus takes his disciples outside of Bethany and Jesus ascends into heaven. And, And earlier, before he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples, the same way you see me leave is gonna be the same way that I'm returning. Jesus promised that he's gonna come again. And you know what? We read at the end of Luke chapter 24, what did that inspire in the disciples? It inspired a superb joy because they knew not only did their Savior live, but he was the king who rules and reigns today, the one who promises that he's coming again. And what a hope we have because of that. Jesus is gonna come again one day and he's gonna set all things right. He's gonna make all things new. And he's going to rule and reign over the new heaven and the new earth in righteousness and justice. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain because he lives. And so the disciples worshiped him and here we are 2,000 years later and we also worship Jesus because he's a risen, reigning king. Friends, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this awesome reality that is ours because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have so many incredible promises and assurances and reasons for hope because you conquered the grave. You proved that you were the one that the scriptures testified to, the the anointed one, the coming Messiah. You proved that your death on the cross was effective to cover and cleanse all of our sins. You proved that you are the living, reigning King of kings and Lord of lords. We have all of these great assurances in you, Lord, because you live. And so we thank you, Jesus, for all that you did for us. We thank you for the resurrection hope that is ours. And we pray, God, that we would faithfully live to testify to the good news to others, to all who need to hear, that there is a possibility of being reconciled to our creator, God. I just want to pray this morning, if there's anybody here today who has never embraced Jesus for themselves as their personal Savior and Lord, friends, if you're here this morning, maybe your heart is burning within you today. I just want to encourage you that the Lord knows your heart, and you can say a simple prayer this morning, simple prayer like, Jesus, I know that I have lived my life as a rebel against you, and today, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I want to trust in your resurrection promises for my life and I want you to come and sit on the throne of my heart as my Lord as my Savior, as my King friends, Jesus knows your heart and if you just call out to him he can make you a new creation as well and you can know the hope of Easter Sunday Jesus, thank you so much for this great time of studying your word together we thank you for our hope our hope in you, in Jesus name Amen